Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Thursday, September 3rd, the year 2020. This is the Mike Abadir Show, and I am lucky today to be joined by a regular guest of ours, the mad backer himself, Adrian Ross. And Adrian, this weekend was supposed to happen on the first Saturday of May. And what I'm talking about is Kentucky Derby weekend. Crazy year as it is in 2020. <laughs> you got a lot going on. We got a lot going on in Louisville itself. But, you know, it, this is just one of those years where everything's kind of backwards. Yeah, definitely. Things are definitely backwards. And, you know, it's it's just and we don't know what's 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 going to happen in the future. And so that's I think that's what's exciting. But we all love sports and we're getting we're getting a bunch of it right now. Yeah. And, you know, Kentucky Derby has always been one of my favorite events, you know, in the sporting calendar. Um my dad and my uncles were really into horse racing when I was a kid. I remember actually uh, crying, <laughs> uh, if I can admit that, as a three- <laughs> or four-year-old because they wouldn't let me go with them. I still remember that to that day because they tricked me. You know, when you trick kids, right. like, oh, yeah, they're going to wait for you. Uh, you know, just take your bath. And, <laughs> and I got out, and they're gone, and I was not happy, and – and so anyways, when I finally was old enough to go, I, I loved the sport and always at the top of the list has been the Kentucky Derby for me. I know that your I don't want to say affiliation with it, but you lived out that way for a while when you were a professional tackle football player, NFL player with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we used to have training camp in Georgetown, Kentucky. And, you know, when we get the night off. Or when I, you know, I get tired and I miss home, I'd, I'd hop in my truck and I'd go cruise the rolling hills. And that's when I discovered the horse farms, you know, and uh, horse farms were, um, I mean, they were so plentiful out there. So beautiful to see the rolling hills and to see the horses. And, you know, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite animals. Unfortunately, at the Bengals, they always had, like you said, this was supposed to be a couple months ago. We always had mini camp. <laughs> yeah. We always had mini camp for the Derby. And it was something I never attended. And I was thinking about it this year. And then we had COVID, you know, and, and I've been frequenting uh, back there. Uh, like the last couple months I've been I've been to Louisville and uh, it was something that they were expecting. And I didn't think that um, it didn't seem like they were not going to be expecting uh, to not have a crowd. Yeah. Now, uh, when you say going back there, did the Bengals invite you amongst alums back there, or or was this for something else? Oh, it was this. It was this uh, something else, and I oh, gotcha. to be okay. out there. And but then I decided to, you know, finally kind of take the tour um, as an adult, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and not my young, fresh out of college, tunnel vision eyes. And it's uh, it's so beautiful, you know, it's so beautiful back there. Uh, I mean, just 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 farms, just farms everywhere with just horses. I just, you know, I love it. Yeah. Now we're gonna real briefly here, or in, in a moment here, transition 
to uh, one of your old AFC. I don't know if you guys necessarily had a rivalry with the Chiefs when you played or not, but clearly they've, in my mind, been the best team in football over the last couple of years. They probably could have been repeat Super Bowl attendees. They were real close two years ago, made it happen last year. And it's always interesting to see if you could accomplish one of the toughest things in sports, which is to be a repeat champion. And who's going to give us plenty of insight on that is the man himself, Herbie Teopi. Herbie, what's up, my friend? And by the way, listeners, Herbie is a Chiefs beat writer for or a reporter for the Kansas City Star. So, Herbie, how's it going, man? Mike, I don't know about all the the, the, the way you pumped me up there. Goodness gracious, man. The, the pressure is on. What's going on, Mike? How you doing, Adrian? <laughs> What's going on? Man, I'll tell you, Herbie, you, I mean, you've been on the show before over the years, and you've kind of journeyed from Saints land and gave me some great tips for eateries out in, in NOLA. And then uh, and then NFL.com and, and now with, with the Chiefs. Just kind of on a personal level, you know, what's this journey been like for you? Because that's a lot in, what, a 24-month period? Well, and the crazy thing is this is my second time on the Chiefs beat because the Times Picayune hired me away when I was, when I was originally covering the Chiefs in 2016 and then um, covered the Saints and then – to NFL.com slash NFL Network, and then back to the Saints beat, and then the Kansas City Star said, hey, it's time to bring you home. And, and so here I am, you know, and you're absolutely correct. You know, I remember because you represent one of the Saints players, Zach, Zach Wood, and, and I remember when you said you were coming into town, I was like, hey, go, go check out these places to eat, and it was a hit for you guys. Huge hit. Loved every, every one of those joints and craving to go back there. Hopefully, once they uh, open up the Superdome for uh, fans in attendance. And I think that's a good starting point for this conversation, Herbie, which is what's going on right now in Kansas City with respect to uh, COVID? I know there's a little bit of an outbreak in the Midwest. And uh, what does that translate to in terms of fans in attendance for the Chiefs this year? Well, you know, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are doing everything right, in my opinion. You got Rick Burkholder over there, their head athletic trainer. And you also have Alan Wright, their head uh, equipment manager. They actually served on some of the work groups that the NFL put together during COVID and said, how can we bring football back? So when you have that institutional knowledge who helped the, the NFL implement a lot of the protocols you see around the league, it's good to know that most of the ideas, the ideas came from Kansas City. They were the first team to have fans uh, in, in the stadium for training camp. They had 2,000 fans at Arrowhead Stadium the first time around. Then last week they had 5,000 fans. And now for the season opener, they're hoping, you know, they, they cut the Arrowhead capacity to 22%. So that's roughly about 16,700 fans in the stand. But they're going about it doing it the right way. They are, they, they have safety in mind. I was out at Arrowhead for both the practices. I'll be out there again on the 10th. And, and I feel safe. You know, they, they have a lot of guidance all over the stadium, you know, wear your mask. And you got people going up and down the stands, making sure that people are wearing their masks. They're doing a good job of policing things. Now, granted, you can't control human nature. You have some of those people that are going to remove their masks, but it's up to the police themselves. And, you know, I, I think they're doing it as safe as possible. Yeah, and a quick follow-up on that. Uh, so 
when you're talking about human nature and taking the mask on and off, are they going to be serving beer and food, uh, which will obviously enable people to have to take off their mask back and forth, or is that something prohibited in the first few games? Good question, and and here's the here's the kicker with their rules. The rule specifically states masks will be on at all times inside the stadium, with the exception if you are actively eating or drinking. <laughs> Human nature might play here. Hey, hey, I'm eating. I don't need to wear this. Hey, I'm drinking. I don't need to wear this. So you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that happens the first couple of games. Right now, the weather is still warm, uh, you know. So and then people. I don't want to turn this into a political thing here, but, you know, some people are like, hey, I can't, it's too hot, I want to wear this. But as the winter months progress, hey, I I would gladly wear the mask out there. Herbie, and so for practice, what has it been like? Has it been different? Uh, Because I've seen some other stuff online from different teams. Has it been uh, hard for you to view or, like, uh, like what's the practice set up now for you being able to view and be able to, you know, see what's going on? Excellent question. It's excellent question, Adrian. The training camps this year, and I'm sure it's the same way around the National Football League, were so different. You know, you, the access for one uh, was very limited. They only are, you were only allowed to have a certain number of members of the media uh, observing practice. And then your, your restrictions on what you could actually report were very harsh. You, you, you couldn't say who was lining up anywhere. And I get that because the practices were not open to the fans. Uh, for the most part, I think they gave you what you needed to see. You know, we, we were not too far away from the practice field. Uh, and, but, you know, some of the things you did notice that are different from the training camps you were probably used to when you played for the Bengals, coaches were wearing masks. Andy Reid had a, a plastic face mask over his face. Players <laughs> were no longer sharing uh, water bottles or hand towels. I mean, everything mm. had safety in mind. And even with the, with the reporters that were out there, there were only four of us who were actually able to watch all of Chiefs' practices, they had us separated, you know, six feet is the, is the norm, but I think we were actually separated farther away from each other than that. So they, they certainly had safety in mind. Oh, that's great there. I mean, because I know, you know, like you said, from being a, being a free agent and trying, trying to make these teams now with, uh, with the way that this has gone, like have you seen out there as far as uh, the – the undrafted guys, are they getting getting a fair shot to get reps? I think this is where the Chiefs are actually going to benefit the most, in my opinion, uh, but probably benefit the most with the COVID environment. And, and, and you know this as well as a former player. You, know, you, you gotta have your you got to have your preseason tape. you got to get your reps. But with only 14 days of padded practices for the entire offseason – the Chiefs had the benefit of going with the known versus the unknown. At one point this offseason, they had 20, uh, 20 of 22 starters returning to the team. The Grand they made some moves after that, so right now they're, in, they're probably around 17 or 18, but they have stability. So with 14 days of padded practices a week before the start of the regular season, you know, that's probably not a lot of time to see what you have with undrafted free agents or even free agents who signed during training camp because you got to get ready for the regular season. Coach Andy Reid said that, said that actually in, during camp. You know, you, you got to get the guys that you know are going to play. You got to get them the reps now because we didn't have the benefit of organized team activities, OTAs. We didn't have the benefit of mandatory minicamp. And for the rookies especially, 
They didn't have the benefit of any rest during the offseason. They had to basically hit the ground running during training camp. Uh, so, so if anything, COVID actually helps the Chiefs because when I look around the National Football League, how many people can say their rosters are as stable as what the Chiefs have coming off of a championship season? And, I, and you'll be hard-pressed to find maybe five who can say that. Herbie, you know what's interesting to me is, and keep in mind, I actually, and I've got the tape, I predicted that the Chiefs would be Super Bowl participants two years in a row. I was uh, close in year one and uh, obviously correct in year two. But as the season went on, one of the areas that concerned me about my prediction with the Chiefs was a lack of a running game. Now, it didn't really matter to them because they have such a high-powered passing attack and Mahomes himself uh, allows for, you know, to, to set up the passing game in the same way that a really good running back could. But two interesting additions. One is DeAndre Washington, but the other one is the rookie from LSU, Hilaire. I guess my question for you is, is kind of twofold, but I'll start with the first, which is one of the toughest things that I've seen in my career is that transition from scouting departments, falling in love with a player, and then handing him off to the coaching staff. And then how does that translate on the field? So it's a loaded question here, but how is Clyde Edwards Hilaire faring so far? You know, coming from New Orleans, you had a dynamic running back down there in Alvin Kamara. There were a lot of things that he would do that would just make you stop and say, wow, did he just do that? Edward Zolaire has a lot of that. He's, obviously, he's short. He's low to the ground, great center of gravity. He reminds you a lot of Darren Sproles when you see him in the open field. The guy is a natural receiver. He's got some moves, too. I remember specifically during 11-on-11 drills, he caught a pass out of the backfield and about shook linebacker Anthony Hitchens out of his cleats. And then the, <laughs> the entire sideline just erupted like, woo, you know, like the Ric Flair type, woo. The, the guy's dynamic. Here, here's the thing I think is going to help him. He comes from LSU. Last year, their offensive coordinator was Joe Brady. Joe Brady is a disciple of Sean Payton, who runs the West Coast offense in New Orleans. He's coming to a West Coast offense here uh, under Andy Reid, who has his version of it. And you've got good, good people around him. Eric Bieniemy, fantastic offensive coordinator, even a better running back coach. And they're, they're going to plug and play this guy. With Damian Williams opting out for the season, there, it was no surprise when he walked out there on day one of training camp. Was running with the ones, and he hasn't stopped since training camp. So he's a dynamic weapon. And when you add him with everything else the Chiefs have, and you've got a, the ultimate eraser in Patrick Mahomes who can make any mistake look good, he's just another explosive piece to it. Yeah, that's big right there, like how you say. You know, my old teammate Eric Bieniemy, uh, when he said he sounds like him, I mean, <laughs> that, that, like, that sounds like EB to a T. You know, a guy that could come out the backfield, catch the ball, have good feet. I mean, you know, for him to be in this offense – uh, with that coach, you know, that has to be a big benefit. And, you know, knowing that, knowing that, knowing who Eric is, you know, I, I know that he's going to be well uh, suited to be able to <clears throat> coach a rookie during, uh, during this pandemic time right now. Oh, absolutely. And the enemy, 
we've had him, I think, two or three times during training camp. And obviously, the, some of the questions that obviously pop up, especially from folks who are not out there at practice, you know, how is Edward Zerler looking? And, and you know, Eric Bionami, you know, he'll, you know how he is. He'll, he'll tell you like it is. He's, he'll say, is he, where he want, is he where we want him to be? Probably not. But the kid wants to learn, and he's constantly asking questions. I think what's also going to help him out during um, when, when they didn't have OTAs, he actually linked up with Patrick Mahomes during the offseason, and those two worked out together. So you, you got to think that Mahomes is constantly in his ear. This is what you need to do here. This is what you need to do there. On passing plays, this is where I want you. And it transitioned well in training camp. I'm, I'm a, I don't want to sound like I'm 100% raving about the guy, but you know, he, he's a, he is a, a smooth receiver out of the backfield. Who was looking like they're going to uh, come up for the backup spot? They got some um, you know, there. that's an interesting question. I think um, I think what you're probably going to have here is an LSU combination. I'm going back to Louisiana here. Daryl Williams, uh, the, the, who landed uh, was injured last year and didn't finish the year on the active roster, he's probably going to be your number two. And as far as your number three running back, that's going to come down to DeAndre Washington, Patrick Mahomes' college teammate, and Darwin Thompson, the Chiefs, uh, one of their draft picks last year, the seventh-round draft pick. Got it. Herbie, we got a couple of minutes here left, and I wanted to quickly talk about the defense. You know, to me, the defensive MVP was Honey Badger, and it really seemed like he kind of shed any of his past life, really found a home here in Kansas City. What's your impression of this defense now that most of these guys have been together? Because they came on late, and do you kind of see them – you know, being a formidable defense now that they've had this time together and have that confidence and they've got a championship under their belt? And that, that's a good point because you, you nailed it right there when you said they came on late. A lot of people tend to forget that last year was Steve Spagnuolo's first year as their defensive coordinator. Before that, you had Bob Sutton who ran a 3-4 scheme. What Spagnuolo did was he installed a 4-3 scheme. It's the reason why they let Justin Houston walk and D Ford walk or, or you know, go elsewhere is because those guys were, did not fit the scheme. Once the defense got their legs under them and they knew what Steve Spagnuolo wanted them to do, you saw it in the second half of the season. There, were, there was a point there where they didn't allow teams to score more than 10 points. Uh, issues against the run at the beginning of the year where people were just gouging them, they just shut them down. Uh, Derrick Henry, who, who was gouging them um, in Week 10, he didn't have that much success against them in the playoffs. They, they shut him down, and Frank Clark was like, yeah, you know, we, we shut him down. Uh, I think when you look at defenses, what they did towards the end of last year tends to carry over into the following year, and I think in year two of Spagnola scheme, this is going to be a pretty darn good defense when you look across the board there. Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, they, they got a pretty good underrated linebacker core there with, with Hitchens, uh, Damian Wilson, and Ben Neiman, who's probably going to start. And then Willie Gay, their second-round draft pick, that guy's a playmaker. This is going to be a pretty good defense. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you there. You know, I, I think that was the biggest difference was the coaching change on defense, you know, because I think that's what Kansas City was missing. Like you said, for them to shut down uh, Tennessee's run game, they had a four-man front, you know, like Baltimore and I think who was in New England, like the other teams they played, they came with a three-man front. And I – and when I looked at who the D coordinator was and saw Spagnola and I saw what he did, I think was it back at the was he at the Giants? 
I think he was at the Giants, and I knew that he'd be able to devise a scheme to stop the run. And uh, that was that was that was a job well done. And I think the honey badger was the uh, thing that. And when you look at the AFC taking him and the Texans not signing him, I think that was that was the main difference, even between the two teams. Here's something else too. Then you know you mentioned Tyron Matthew. I know, like during training camp, he along with I think it was Frank Clark who mentioned, you know, how can this defense not be good? We get to practice against Patrick Mahomes every day. That's, that's, uh, that's a good point there. You know, when you're lining up against Mahomes and you're dealing with Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Travis Kelsey, we didn't even mention Kelsey, but when you have to defend against them and it's ones against ones, you can't help but be better. Herbie, I wish we had more time with you. Definitely appreciate your time. I've been trying to, to hunt you down now for, uh, for, for quite a while now. Always appreciate you joining us. Tell the listeners how they could follow you and give us a prediction on the way out, how you see this season playing out for the champions. Okay, we'll start with the first one, guys. You can know, guys and gals, you can always follow me on Twitter at Herbie Teope. And I am, you know, the way the season's gonna play out, just like you, this is gonna be my third straight year. I am gonna predict a Saints Chiefs Super Bowl. It it, it should have happened in twenty eighteen, if not for one of the most egregious non-pass interference calls at the Superdome. And the Chiefs didn't, you know, the officials didn't do them any favors in that championship game against the Patriots. You know, the, the, the Super Bowl should have happened then. I predicted they would face off last year and say tailed off. And, and they want to get Drew Brees a Super Bowl ring. You know, eventually they, they want to get him another one before he eventually retires. And who wouldn't love to see Mahomes versus Brees? Michael Thomas against the Chiefs defense, you know, that, that, uh, that offensive line against Cam Jordan, that would be just a TV bonanza. So that's Absolutely. how I see the season playing out. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And by the way, Herbie, I actually had the Saints and Chiefs two years in a row as well. And I'm probably going <laughs> to, you know, next week when we do our preview show, I think I'm going to take them for the third straight year, third, uh, third try <laughs> You know, as a charm, so to speak. Yeah, so, come with me. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we're, on, we're on the same page there, man. So, anyways, Herbie, thank you so much. Always appreciate you joining us. You you deliver the goods every single time, my man. Hey, my pleasure. Hey, great talking to you, Adrian. Great talking to you, Mike. And we got to see each other again. It's been too long, brother. Most definitely, my friend. You take care. Be it. safe. Stay safe. That is right, Herbie T.O.P. With the KC star, definitely want to check him out, especially if you're a Chiefs fan or an NFL fan. He does it all. Legit, legit content, as you just heard. Adrian, we're going to take a quick timeout. We're going to talk New Orleans Saints, the team we were just talking about with Herbie, and get into the Kentucky Derby a little bit. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hanging out here with the Bad Factor, Adrian Ross. Having a good time talking what is totally up his alley, which is defensive side of the ball but he also knows the offense because he was paid for a living to stop offenses so nobody better to be able to chop it up about football adrian that was a good conversation man herbie really knows his team that he covers inside and out yeah that was that was that was that was some real good insight there you know especially you know like you said for me he brought up a lot of people didn't really see the defensive job that uh, they did, you know, we saw Derrick Henry run through everybody and, uh, you know, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs defense did a did a hell of a job last year. and stopped Well, they it. were overshadowed, right? I mean, because high flying offense and Patrick Mahomes burst onto the scene a couple of years ago, took over from Alex Smith like it was nothing. And uh, that's that side of the ball gets all the attention. Speedy receivers and Kelsey but right. the reason they won that Super Bowl is because of their defense. Because of their defense. And I just remember uh, Tyron Matthew talking, you know, uh, when the season was starting and being, uh, being a free agent signing there and, you know, him being, he said, one of the older guys. He just wanted to bring, uh, you know, bring, bring a certain aggressiveness to the defense. And, you know, it was, just, it was really good to see you know, the change that they had in one year with uh, his arrival to the team. Yeah. Hey, you remember him coming into the league? There's questions about his off-field <laughs> issue. <laughs> what do you get, like a marijuana citation or something? I mean, uh, yeah. man, you yeah. know. It's like, yeah, he's a college young man. and <laughs> <laughs> that, It's that, just kind of crazy. Like, there are teams that probably passed him up for the most ridiculous non-football related issues. You know, I, look, I get it. Every once in a while you get somebody like a Josh Gordon who just doesn't seem to, you know, understand the kind of line between having a good time and professionalism. You know, perhaps right. he's got some substance abuse issues that he's got to, uh, you know, work out, you know, so I, I don't want to harp on him too much. But... um you know, a lot of these guys, like you said, I mean, you're in your late teens, early 20s, having a good time with your bros, but you could really be passing on a 
franchise type player, you know, I, I think what it comes down to is how much does this person love to compete? Right. right. I mean, right. I think that's kind of the, the, the line there. They love to compete enough. They'll make the sacrifices needed to be a good professional football player. Definitely. You know, and then I've always looked at it as you're trying to acquire talent. So whatever your reason is for looking at someone's resume and choosing who you pick, <laughs> that's on you. You know, I think it's always deemed this, oh, so-and-so's good enough to be able to make it over here. And or so-and-so has this issue and we're not getting them. Okay, well, did you make the right decision? <laughs> you know, and I think that obviously we could see he's 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 produced everywhere he's gone. You know, started starting with the Cardinals and I think he went to the Texans, who I couldn't believe didn't sign him back. That's ridiculous. It, it really, really is. Speaking of the Texans, by the way, while we've got a couple of minutes before our next guest, what what are your thoughts about them this year? Because to me, I thought they had a very strange offseason. You know, you would think that they would surround their franchise quarterback, you know, probably one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, in my opinion, with uh, some offensive talent. But they got rid of their best playmaker. I mean, what what do you make of, of the Texans and kind of the route that they chose to take this offseason? Yeah, I think we can go ahead and throw Jacksonville in there right along with the Texans. You know, like yeah. we're seeing the mass exodus out of Jacksonville. And I feel it's somewhat the same with the Texans, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on over in Jacksonville and who it is, but, you know, it's Bill O'Brien in Houston. And, you know, we're in a new day, you know. And, I, and, I, and I've seen it before with some of these, these coaches that have, you know, been in the pros with the Patriots. And then they go to college and then they come back to the pros and we see how he talks. And, you know, there's – these, these players are different now, you know, like you're not going to be able to talk to them like they're college players. And um, that's, that's what I feel that's personally going on. And that's, that's some of the stuff that, you know, being in Houston that I've heard uh, personally that that's going on with the relationship and some of the talks of how Bill O'Brien talks and how he treats, treats players. But I think the Texans have kind of missed their window. Uh, You know, I think that they were right there, they were ahead of where the Chiefs were. Um, I think they were built in the uh, years past with a healthy Watt and a Clowney to beat New England, to beat Kansas City. But, um, you know, now uh, they trade away the best wide receiver in the league. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> they, they don't re-sign Honey Badger. They let Boye go. I mean, it's like you had all these – first of all, yeah, they went from the number one defense to now they need everybody. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, uh, you got to wonder, you know, sometimes you'll see, like, in the whole scheme of things, maybe one play make the difference between winning or losing. And I have to wonder, the Texans were up, what was it, 21 nothing on the road in Kansas City against the Chiefs, and, mm-hmm. and they blew that huge lead. I wonder if they would have hung on and won if this off season would have gone very differently for them, you oh, know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It definitely would have. It definitely would have. <laughs> that, that's a great, that's a great point right there. They did have that lead. Oh yeah, man. You're bringing it back. Stop it. <laughs> that was my pick. <laughs> I know. I know. And you know, because we've seen that whether we, in, especially in baseball or, or football, 
you know, a team moves on from a closer in baseball or a starting pitcher who chokes or a field goal kicker. But I've never, I haven't really seen it where an NFL team has been this close to having a championship team where they just kind of move on from them. And it's interesting, you brought up Jacksonville. I thought that was a real, like, short fuse that they had with uh, Fournette. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was all everything coming out of LSU. Remember, he was so good that they were talking about having him skip his, you know, uh, NFL eligibility, like his college eligible season to go to the pros so he doesn't get hurt. Remember that? Right. That was the advice he was getting because he was supposed to be that good. And we've seen glimpses of it, you know, in the league, but. I'm surprised that they moved on after three years, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, well, not not, not just that they moved on, but the fact that they need a running back. <laughs> you know, so, like, here, here you are, and then at this point in the season, you know, I mean, like, what is it? What is it, a week before? Like, when we start, like, when's the season starting up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without no these kidding. preseason games, you know, but it's like, you guys are at this point up in the season and you're letting your first round pick go, no trade, no nothing. He just he just hits the waivers. There's obviously something going going on over there. Uh, they what the couple of days before they trade their their number one DN to the Vikings. They let uh, Calais Campbell go to the Ravens. That was a head scratcher. Jalen Ramsey's gone. I think I think Boye's gone from there too. I mean it's <laughs> I mean, you talk about a mass exodus. Everybody is out of there. Yeah, and look, man, those are two teams, you know, that were close to getting to, to Super Bowls over the last, you know, two, three seasons. When we're talking about the Texans and and the Jags, yeah, I, I think the Jags probably look closer to cellar dwellers than they do winning a, winning a division even. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, like, like the money they spent, I mean, all the way you think this, this started with like with who they brought Foles in after, after the yep. Philly Super Bowl, yep. you know, and, uh, then they went with, uh, Mishu. Uh, so Mishu comes in and he, they tried to have the Mishu magic, and, <laughs> and, you know, and riding that wave until he went down and he got hurt. <laughs> and, and everybody wearing those fake mustaches. Remember that? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how the, these quarterbacks come into the league because the team hasn't game planned against them. Uh, same thing happened with the uh, rookie with the New York Giants, too. You know, everybody's like, oh, Danny Magic, Danny Boy, he's coming in to save the franchise. These guys come in and have these these uh, fantastic first games, second games, and then league figures them out. It's hard to come in and dominate international football league. Very hard. Very hard to come in, especially when they know who you are. Just, just like you said, when the film gets out there, okay. Now can you perform? Now can you perform when we put a game plan on you? <laughs> exactly right. And and can you stay healthy? You know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly right. And so we've kind of been focused on the uh, AFC this entire conversation so far. Want to shift uh, to the NFC? especially because we're going to be talking a little bit about the New Orleans Saints. What are your thoughts about the NFC champion 49ers? I, I 
personally, I did not buy into them all year. And so I ate pro all year long. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, hold off on that thought. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit of San Francisco 49ers because let's first talk about their, uh, you know, their, their rival. And, it, and it's shaping up to be a good rivalry. And they're going to be playing each other again this year. And I'm talking about the New Orleans Saints. And we are lucky to have one of their beat writers, one of the best ones, in my opinion, for The Athletic. And she's so versatile that she's going to talk horse racing with us. I'm talking about Kat Terrell. Kat, how are you this afternoon? You're on with Mike and Adrian. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, we're going to sneak in a couple of quick questions before our next commercial break which is, uh, you know, at 40 after. But, Kat, what's it been like so far in, in this kind of strange version of, of training camp and, you know, with the removal of preseason games and all that? What's the atmosphere like? What's the vibe like in the Saint Land? Well, it's totally different than it has been in any years past, obviously, and that's because it's quiet. There's no fans there. It's, it's weird to be watching all of these practices that are only open to us, but not to the fans. And it's definitely different. And for one, just with the way they practice is different because for example, they have to spend a lot more time on special teams than they would normally, because that is such a big way in how they figure out how these bubble guys are going to play a role and make the roster and without preseason games, it's very hard to get a true evaluation of how these players are doing in that regard. So, I mean, it's strange. We sat in an empty Superdome today and watched them run through a simulated game-type scenario. And they're, you know, running through every possible thing, even the um, running into the locker room at halftime and coming back out and stuff like that. So, it, it's definitely a weird vibe. But also, oh, I guess, pretty positive because things have been going so well. It, it's gone from, will there be a season, to, hey, the season is coming, and it's only two weeks away, less than two weeks away. Yeah, and uh, they, they've got a, a very interesting schedule, and we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. But is there any talk? We were just talking to Herbie uh, uh, about the Chiefs and, and Arrowhead, and apparently they're going to be able to – have some fans in the game. They've already tested it out with uh, fans in practice. They start off with 2,000 fans, then the 5,000 fans. Apparently, they're going to be in the uh, tens of thousands. Well, maybe like, what, sixteen to 22,000 range uh, at Arrowhead. Any talks uh, of, of anything of that nature in, in uh, New Orleans? Yeah, they sent out something the other day saying they plan to have fans in the stands for game three. So I believe they're away week two against the Raiders and they come back. However, it kind of seems like it's shaping up to be a fight between the, the plan to have fans in the stands and most people signing off on that and then the mayor not signing off on it. So that's kind of in limbo. The mayor has been very cautious when it comes to New Orleans and COVID because New Orleans got hit very hard at the beginning, and now it's actually doing great compared to the rest of the state. But she says she's not ready to do that yet, so I don't really know where that stands. But they do have a plan, and I'm hopeful 
that they can get fans back in the stands by October. I mean, I, I sure hope so. I, I can't imagine this being maybe Drew Brees' last season and fans not being there to see it. That just seems so sad. Great point. I thought you were going to say, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a fight between the Republicans and the Democrats, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is a sports show, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, let's take our, uh, last and final commercial break. We will continue talking to cat about the saints and also talk a little Kentucky Derby. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back after a brief commercial message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. From fact-checking Hollywood blockbusters on the economic impact of COVID-19 on the hunting industry to August fishing reports and mandatory early season hunting to-do lists, The Revolution with Jim and Trav this week is giving you need-to-know outdoor intel. Joining the boys is Kenneth Lancaster of The Given Right, Terry Shepard from Hollywood Weapons, and Cat Daddy. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Kicking it with Adrian Ross, the mad backer, former Cincinnati Bengals linebacker, as well as Kat Terrell of The Athletic. You should all follow her on Twitter. If you don't follow, she's a great follow. If you're an NFL fan, if you're a sports fan, if you're a horse racing fan, we're going to get to that in a moment. But, Kat, I wanted to talk to you about something we were talking about uh, during the commercial timeout, which is Carl Granderson. uh, You know, you did a piece, I believe you co-did a piece with Larry Holder uh, about the 53-man roster, and I know you've had some uh, thoughts about projections. Anybody kind of coming into camp surprised, whether it be an undrafted rookie, 
somebody that maybe could fit in on the special teams unit, as you were alluding to before the commercial break, uh, or hmm. or or otherwise. Uh, yeah, they had a couple of undrafted guys look really great. It's just it's a very hard year to make the team as an undrafted rookie because they didn't get much of a training camp and they didn't get preseason games. So teams are probably going to go with what they already know in these situations. But they've got some young linebackers with a lot of potential, like uh, this undrafted guy, Joe Bocci. Um Some of their undrafted receivers have looked good. Marquez Callaway from Tennessee, Juwan Johnson, who played at Oregon, um, and then Malcolm Roach from the defensive line, who played at Texas. They, they've all looked good, but it's just uh, it's a matter of if the team's willing to kind of take a chance on them versus trying to get them to the practice squad. It's, it's, I really feel for these rookies. It's so tough this year, and I hopefully they'll never, we'll never have to see the likes of this crazy uh, season, preseason again. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, I don't really ever get a chance to talk about punters and rookie punters, but at, at the start of camp, I started getting text messages from uh, reporters or friends asking me, hey, Ask Zach Wood about this Blake Gilligan guy. And so and I asked him, he's like, man, I mean, obviously we've got Thomas Morstead, you know, one of the best punters in the league. But this Blake kid has got a booming leg. Sounds like he might make the 50, uh, or not the 53, but the practice squad. Uh, why is that? And, and what are your thoughts of him? I think. There's probably a couple of reasons for it, but first of all, the kid is impressive. Um, when, I, when we first saw him a couple of weeks ago when camp started, I remember thinking, I mean, a lot of times we don't always watch special teams in practice, to be completely honest. It's sometimes when you're standing out there and you kind of your eyes just kind of glaze over. Not really this year because you have to pay attention to everything. But when I when he was hunting, I was like, geez, this kid has a huge leg. Like, he's really good. So I think they would probably like to keep him around, one, because of COVID. And if something happens and they already got a guy in the practice squad to temporarily, temporarily replace Morstead. And two, I, I guess sometimes teams are always looking to the next big thing. And if they can get a young, cheap guy, I mean, maybe they're thinking, hey, we can groom him to be our next punter. Now, I... I sure hope not. I mean, I, I love Morissette, and I hope he sticks around a long time. And, you know, he's, he's still pretty darn good, so I don't really see him going anywhere. But I think it's just a team covering its bases in kind of all directions this year. Kat, so we know about the Saints offense, you know, and the points that they put up. And, uh, you know, so now what's, what's going on on the, on the defensive side of the ball? It looks like they've, like, shored up their – their front four depth, um, if they can have their linebackers stay healthy. Uh, you know, I know you said that Joe Joe Bocci looks like he's uh, stepping up there because uh, Kiko Alonso, he's been traded a lot. He plays well when he's available. And the problem is just having him available. It looks like he's on the pup, pup now. Um, they have Malcolm Jenkins back. Is there, is there, a, is there a standout leader on, on, on the defense? Well, I, I mean, besides Cam have Jordan, to be that guy, probably. Oh, say who? Well, yeah, <laughs> Cam Jordan, that guy. Um, <laughs> I think for the secondary, Jenkins is going to have to be that guy. I mean, of course, it's funny. Sometimes we forget about Cam Jordan because he's so consistently good 
every single week. I and mean, he is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. It's kind of crazy how he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And I think he's always been that way, which is odd because he's got one of the biggest personalities I've ever met. You would think that he would be this huge star in the NFL, um, but he doesn't seem to quite be there compared to like guys like J.J. Watt in terms of like how well people know who he is. But, yeah, Kim Jordan's a great leader. Craig Robertson on special teams. Samario Davis, um, great leader, great player. And then Malcolm Jenkins was always kind of the heart and soul of their secondary the first time around, and they really lost that when he left. So I think they're hoping he can be that again, and the younger players have raved about him. So they've really got a solid roster top to bottom. And even uh, the backup cornerbacks and safeties have been making plays all throughout camp. So I don't know if it's going to continue into the regular season, but the defense sure has impressed me a lot from what I've seen these last three or so weeks. You know, Kat, we could talk Saints all day, but I promised our listeners that we were going to talk some horse racing. <laughs> so with, yeah. with the few minutes that we've got left, before we talk about the Oaks uh, and the Derby, are there any other races that you've looked at where maybe you've uh, been able to pluck out a long shot or, or just a race that you're really interested in in general uh, in either of the two days? You know, I haven't had time to handicap the whole card, although I'm already getting emails about, you know, like, let's, let's all put together a pick six this weekend, and I'm sure I'll just end up throwing money at them and they'll do the handicapping because uh, <laughs> life is so crazy with training camps. But, you yeah. know, I was, I'm excited to see Serengeti Empress run. I, I always love watching her run. She's just, she has the biggest heart. Uh, she does things where I'm like, oh, okay, she's done. Like, like, I think her last race, she went out in, like, 21 and change or, or something. Something at some insane time. And I was like, no way can she keep that up. She's going to crack. And she didn't. So I'd really like to see what kind of performance she puts on against Bellafina this weekend before, I guess, her next step is the Breeders' Cup. I think she's going in the sprint. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of me. Like, I uh, sometimes I just get horses. I really like to watch every time they run. I think that race, I'm, trying, I'm pulling up the PPs and trying to remember what race in the card it is. It's so weird for me not to be there. Like, usually I'm at the Derby, so it's weird now, one, it's in September, and two, I'm not there waking up at 5 in the morning and, like, dragging myself out to the barns to pester people for quotes. Uh, it's going to be odd for sure. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. So let's talk about the Oaks. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, but what's interesting to me when you, is just looking at it from a wagering perspective to start with. You have an even money shot, an 8-5, to five, a 5-1, to one, then everybody else is a huge long shot. So... Gammon or Gamine or I don't even know how to pronounce her name or Swiss <laughs> Skydiver, can either of them be beat? Obviously, from an odds perspective, it would have to be the number four speech. But any of these long shots have a have a chance in your estimation? I know you like long <laughs> shots, Kat, so you know I, I know oh, you yeah, like long yeah, shots, yeah, so you, you'll deliver something. <laughs> right? Uh, that's, that's, the problem is, um, I don't have those PPs in front of me, I have the Derby PPs, but the problem is there's no speed in the race. So, Gammy's just gonna, she's gonna get out on the lead and no one's gonna catch her and she's gonna win that easily. So, I mean, if someone 
makes her fight for the lead. Maybe the others have a shot, but I can just see how this race is going to go. And I just, I think that the lack of true of speed in this race, I think the only speed horses, the ones you already mentioned is kind of a problem for some long shots to win. I, mean, I don't, I don't know what you think, but that was kind of my view of the race whenever I was, was looking through uh, the Phillies entered. So I that could be chalky for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to consider it a price, I think the even money uh, horse, the Baffert runner, I think can be beat. And I think Swiss Skydiver is probably my choice in the Oaks. But let's quickly then shift to the uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, Adrian's old stomping grounds, and he played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, what are your thoughts just about the race? We've got a huge scratch that came out. I'm sure most people are already aware of that. But just generally speaking, in this odd most odd of years. Could this be one of those races where it's just too obvious of a choice, too good to be true, and that we are going to see the heavy favorite get slain? Is it and obviously I'm talking about Tis the Law. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, I'm obviously talking about Tis the Law, the number 17, who's three right. to five favorite. Is it weird that I hope not because I don't want a triple crown winner in this weird year and be argued forever. Although, you know, if you like chaos, I guess you should want a triple crown winner this year. But it would just seem so hollow to me, which is unfair to Tim the Law because he's done everything asked of him and he's already won in a mile and a quarter. So, I mean, there's no questions about the course. He is, he is the real deal. He is really good. And yet, I don't know. I mean, it's the Derby... You can't really think of it as a normal derby. It's, these horses are way more experienced than they would have been running the first Saturday in May. So maybe it doesn't fall apart like it has in other years and you have some crazy long shot win. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of, I mean, there's a couple of horses I'm interested in now. Um, the Baffert horse, um, authentic. I mean, you know Baffert's always got a shot, even though I don't think He's done much lately. He's, he's kind of interesting, but, um, you know, of course, the other short price is going to be Honor AP um, with Mike Smith and John Sheriff. So I'm sure he's going to get a lot of play just for that, those connections alone. But um, I don't know. Tiffin Law is going to be a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite. I, I sure hope there's a long shot because if it's that jockey, no one's making any money on Saturday. No, no doubt about that. And uh, I get what you're saying about the Triple Crown winner. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have for this week's show. So a big thank you, Kat. I know it's going to be different for you this Saturday, but I hope you win tons of money. And you nail that pick six you're talking about. Thank you for joining us. We'll have to do this again before the Breeders' Cup. Absolutely. And then uh, hopefully I'll have some more time to sit down and go through everything. But, hey, I'm always down to talk some horse racing, even if it's the first Saturday in September instead of May. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> that sounds good. Adrian, we got to cut loose here. Thank you, my man. Great co-host. Been a lot of fun. We'll do this again soon. And to all our listeners out there, as always, thank you for listening. We'll be here same time, same place next weekend. Have a tremendous and winning sports weekend, everyone.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.